I'm Michael Ashcroft, the founder of Lord Ashcroft Polls, and this is the Ashcroft in America podcast. the Ashcroft in America podcast. We have come here to Michigan, a state which twice supported Barack Obama, as well as John Kerry, Al Gore, and even Bill Clinton. Until November, when it backed Donald Trump, Michigan had not given its electoral college votes to a Republican presidential candidate since 1988. We are here in Macomb County, which flipped from the blue to the red column, to hear what the voters say about their new president what they make of the dramatic beginning to his term, what they hope, expect, or even fear from the Trump administration, and what they believe he will change both here and throughout the United States. This is one of the places that decided the election. We'll hear what its voters think about their choice. Hello, I'm Kevin Colwick, the director of Lord Ashcroft Polls, here in the snow on the edge of Detroit for this post-inauguration edition of the Ashcroft in America podcast. We've got the old band back together, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the one and only Elise Jordan, MSNBC political analyst and columnist for Time magazine. How are you doing, Elise? Kevin, I've never been better, but I must admit I'm a little exhausted by the frantic pace of our new president. Did you make it to the inauguration? I did not. I went skiing in Colorado. Very sensible. Now, our loyal listeners will recall that before the election, we spent seven weeks visiting swing states to hear what voters had to say about the choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. In this edition, we'll have focus groups with Trump voters to find out what they make of the president's first two weeks in office, and just as important, what they make of his opponent's reaction to them. We'll also speak to people who voted for Hillary Clinton, whether enthusiastically or otherwise, to see how they are reacting to the new administration. We'll hear Lord Ashcroft's interviews with Jennifer Granholm, a former Democratic governor of Michigan, and Sal Anousis, a previous chairman of the state's Republican Party. There was plenty of ground to cover in our focus groups. In keeping with his campaign style, President Trump entered office and, as his supporters like to say, kept telling it as it is. Given all of the news generated just two weeks into his presidency, President Trump is moving quickly, and that's what his supporters expect and want, according to Lord Ashcroft's most recent poll completed on the eve of the inauguration. For Trump's voters, jobs and national security are the most important issues facing the country, and they expect him to be much more effective than previous presidents when it comes to preventing illegal immigration and bringing jobs back to the US. Trump supporters overwhelmingly want to see Obamacare repealed, but the majority want to see a replacement ready to go first. By huge margins, those who voted for the president expect the United States in four years' time to be stronger, richer, fairer and taken more seriously internationally than it is today, and 7 in 10 expect him to be re-elected in four years. If these expectations are high, that's because Donald Trump supporters think that, above all, this is a president who knows how to make things happen and get things done. On the other side of the aisle, those who voted for Hillary Clinton blamed the result on people not understanding the issues at stake, the media not holding Trump to account, Russian hacking and fake news. Saul Anousis is a former chairman of the Michigan Republican Party and served as a senior advisor to Senator Ted Cruz during last year's Republican primaries. Lord Ashcroft spoke to him about the president's early days in office and began by asking whether President Trump's victory had come as a surprise. Well, it was a big surprise, and I think it was a big surprise to most. Um, Obviously, Republicans around the country and those of us who served both as state chairman and on the Republican National Committee were hopeful 
Um, but, uh, you know, Donald Trump was probably at best many people's fifth, sixth, seventh choice uh, going through the primaries. And very few people thought that he would actually win and uh, the nomination. And then once he got the nomination, the idea of him winning the general election uh, was always viewed as a long shot. Um, I think there is a shift uh, towards bringing the Republicans back to kind of the Reagan Democrat, uh, Reagan Republican coalition that was more of a working class, culturally conservative, yet nonpartisan type of person. Um, so I do think there's a unique long-term opportunity for Republicans to grow our party and pull new types of people into the party that used to be part of our party back in the 80s. But with regards to the populism that uh, Donald Trump uh, exudes, I think that is unique. I think it's unique to him as an individual and a personality. And I doubt that it's transferable to other candidates who would be running. In my latest poll, which I published last week, I found that his voters have very high expectations for him, especially when it comes to bringing back jobs. And of all his attributes, the one on which they rate him most highly is on making things happen and getting things done. Do you think he's going to be able to meet the expectations he has created, particularly amongst people who see him as a change from the kind of politicians who they believe have let them down in the past? I think in the short run, the answer is yes. And I think you've seen that happen in the first you know, few days of his administration. I think the executive orders that he has uh, taken, I think the fact that he has met with uh, large business leaders from around the country and has gotten commitments for them to build and expand their plants here in the United States, uh, as well as the Dow hitting 20,000 for the first time, all of those things point to at least a certain degree of leadership and optimism that a Donald Trump presidency brings to this country. Now, the real question is, can he get the legislation passed that will provide for a sustained type of change uh, with regards to the business climate, the taxation regulation in this country? Uh, if he is able to do that, um, I think that you know the number one issue for most Americans is going to be jobs to see whether or not he actually can create and bring back good-paying middle-class jobs. Uh, for instance, the key line uh, uh, pipeline, if that is actually brought to fruition, you're talking about 20,000 or more high-paying, uh, high-tech type of jobs that uh, working-class labor folks would be into. So I think in the short run, he's going to have a number of successes that he's able to accomplish through executive order and regulatory changes. The real question is, will he be able to change the fundamental way we do business here in the United States that could both attract jobs and keep jobs from going overseas, which normally do so because of regulatory tax you know, and business climate issues? The White House has come in for a degree of mockery around the world for some recent statements, such as the claim that the crowd at his inauguration was the biggest ever and the term alternative facts. I mean, do senior Republicans sometimes worry about the president's apparent willingness to say things that others see as not strictly true? Yeah, because there's, well, there's a couple things. Number one is I think that both the American people and the international community is going to have to factor in the fact that Donald Trump is different than any other traditional politician. He is not a slick speaking, calculating uh, political figure. He is going to speak from the heart, tell you what he thinks, and then step back and say, all right, how does this fit what I believe? 
and he will make mistakes. I think he's going to have to be more careful. Uh, he's going to be flippant with regards to what he believes. But the reality is, it's not going to necessarily have a, you know, de uh, determinative effect in the process. Um, I think that I have had a chance to speak with a number of foreign leaders from around the world um, since uh, uh, President Trump has been elected, and I've I've made a very straightforward case that you know his actions are going to speak louder than his words. Be careful not to overreact to statements that may be off the cuff. It may not be the way we traditionally look at politics. It may not be the way we traditionally analyze and view uh, the statements of other foreign leaders, but he is not like any other foreign leader we've ever had, nor is he likely to be like one we will ever have in the future. So once the American people, once the analysts, once the international community starts factoring in the, 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 the case that Donald Trump is going to be have, have to be viewed and analyzed a little differently than others, um, I think you're going to see a much more normal um, reaction to what he says and says, okay, you know, when, when he made his statements about NATO, uh, afterwards he came back and made it very clear that he is going to support the alliance, that he's very strong behind the alliance, and he appointed people uh, that are committed to the alliance. So if you, if you take him at his kind of flippant response, whether it was political, casual, or whatever it may be, it does not necessarily reflect a change in policy which I believe is still going to be supportive of uh, NATO and, and the alliance as one example and a very good one, I think. Okay, one, one thing that has provoked some outrage both in the UK and around the world is the executive order restricting the right of people from those seven countries to come to the United States. Some say this goes against America's proud tradition as a place that welcomes immigrants and those fleeing persecution. What, what's your view on that? Well, I think it's a misinterpretation and a deliberate distortion uh, of what the facts are by the media and others. Um, what he did was he basically took seven countries that are sending over the largest or have the largest percentage of terrorists uh, that are currently operating in the in the in the field that have some of the worst uh, government infrastructure in place in order to analyze and um, you know. Uh, t uh, make sure that it was coming over are legitimate, et cetera. And so what he did is he said, look, we're going to do a temporary pause so that we can analyze and figure out a way to make sure that we by accident are not sending over terrorists, that we by accident are not bringing over the worst of the worst. Um, he is not opposed to immigration. This does not have an effect on immigration as a whole. Most Muslims in the world are not affected by this. But if you read the initial reactions in the media and you read the reactions that the press uh, and the Democrats were very effectively played out, it somehow makes it sound like this was a ban on Muslim immigration to the United States, which is just factually not true. And so, again, you have to look deeper. You have to actually read what it says. You have to look at what it actually entails and what practical steps are being being made. Uh, Barack Obama suspended uh, uh, immigration for periods of time because of different people coming in. So this is not a unique thing. And nobody complained about it when he did it, but they're complaining about it strategically to try to diminish his presidency. Finally, on a personal level, you have close ties to Lithuania. And many people in that part of the world are nervous about his attitude to Russia. Do you share this nervousness or not? No, I don't. And I've, I've spoken to leaders in Lithuania and Part of the problem is, again, I think people are 
hearing what they want to hear. Uh, those who are trying to diminish the president's position and, and weaken him are saying things that are, you know, just basically not true. Um, I think that you can have better relationships with Russia while still being very realistic with regards to what uh, our, our uh, defense commitments are, uh, who our friends are and who aren't our friends and the games they play. If there is a if there is a degree of mutual trust between President Trump and President Putin, I believe that could be good not only for Europe and Lithuania, but it could be good for the world. Um, I think that part of the reason that Putin and others took advantage of uh, the United States and others is that we had a weakened uh, foreign policy under President Obama that basically showed a lack of commitment to defend the countries around the world, defend our alliances around the world, and stand up to a bully like Putin has been in whether it's Crimea, Georgia, or Ukraine. Donald Trump is, is a very smart man who is going to approach this in a very logical way. If it is in America's best interest, if it is in our allies' best interest, which he is 100% committed to, there's no reason that we can't you know, have a deal and have a better relationship with Russia that says, look, uh, here's where the lines are. Here's what we're doing. We all understand this. Uh, NATO is not a offensive but a defensive alliance that is designed to make sure, and it's not looking to expand its territory. You can argue whether we handled the Ukraine or Georgia or Crimea in a good way or we could have handled it in a better way. Was there a way to you know, help people reach their, their desires for independence and freedom uh, without upsetting the Russians so directly? That's all water under the bridge, and we're going to have to deal with that in the future. But the idea that somehow a better relationship uh, with Russia and the United States is somehow a bad thing um, I don't think he's looking to trade away a, a single thing. I just think that, again, if you have two leaders that can address each other with a degree of mutual respect, uh, clear understanding what each is willing to do, um, there is no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump is willing to do what it takes to stand up to any thug around the world with regards to America's interests and our allies' interests. And when the rest of the world recognizes that, I think we're going to be a safer place because we truly will have peace through strength rather than peace through lip service with no red lines that mean anything, uh, which has been the Obama doctrine for the last eight years. Our first focus groups here in Michigan were with people who'd voted for President Trump, albeit with varying degrees of enthusiasm. We asked what they made of his first few days in office. He certainly is going down his list of promises and clicking and checking them off one by one. That's one thing I'll give him credit for. He made promises, and he's going right at it right now. He started doing things a month beforehand. He started getting things together. If the new president was going about things in an unconventional way, for most of his stronger supporters, this was a good thing. We've been used to doing so much the same way, all right? We got our first president that wasn't a military or a politician in there. Guess what? He's going to shake things up, but it's going to lay down for a little while. It'll take about a year. I think once the ball starts going in the right direction, opportunities will open up, and the ball will still continue to go in the right direction. So it won't be like, ah, oh my God, he just did all this. It's going to be like, yep, this is coming, and this is the way things are going. I'm, I'm just sick of the same old Washington, even if it is a little radical. Something. Obama was a very elegant speaker as well as the Bushes, but not a lot happened there. Trump might be brash, but he's an exciting brash. When he says something, you're excited, like, 
oh good, we're going to fix this. He's a hot mess, but at least he's a hot mess with a good business sense. I wanted to change. I like him not being presidential. I think he came in the office and he, for at least this first three or four months, he wants everybody to be on their heels. And, and the best way to do that is just be unpredictable. What's the press secretary's name that uh, comes out of the White House and... Sean Spicer. Yeah, he's, he's got some kahunas too. It's the kahuna clan. Some were a bit more nervous about the way Trump went about things, but for the most part, this simply went with the territory of a president who was going to bring real change. There's a lot of give and take. I'm happy, I'm happy with some things, but there's some other things that I really don't like. But I have, I have to take the bad, like I have to take the bad with the good. I guess the shakeup is a little too much sometimes. Like I agree that things should get shaken up because that's what we need in a way. But it might be a little too much, too fast. I already knew he's gonna shake the house up. Some stuff he does was still like kind of oh, I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. It bothers me sometimes. Sometimes I'll be like, I don't know, man. I don't know what this is like a box of cracker jacks with this guy. You know, there, there are ways to do things and ways to say things that get the same thing accomplished without all the controversy. I don't think that's his style. No. No. I think because he's in office, that's what you're going to get. I want change. Do I want that? No. Do I want the change that no. he talked about? Yes. Certainly nobody in these groups regretted their decision and wished they'd voted for somebody else. I, stay, I stand strong as my decision. I mean, to me, my same decisions that I based it upon are still there. They're still valid. At this moment, I still feel just as strong as when I made my choice. I stand strong with it because, like, you, you, you don't have to agree with everything somebody else says all the time. Like, as long as, like, the basic morals is, is like, what you agree on and your principles, and as long as they stand strong, no one's perfect. So, of course, he's going to vary. Like, but as far as, like, what he said is set out to be as president, I agree with him. Whatever concerns they did have, the president's executive order suspending travel from seven largely Muslim countries was not among them. I didn't think it went far enough because there's a few countries that aren't on the list that I look at it, like Saudi Arabia. I'm sort of surprised at the response in a way. It's happened before in 2011 and nobody seemed to notice when Obama did it. Um, and now that, now that we're here, maybe it, it came in kind of quick and people are sort of trying to digest everything that he's doing. Um, but I think it's good because it shows that he's not worried about public opinion. Day one, in, when he got in office, he was going to take control of the borders. And he's, mm. he's doing it. He's trying to do it. I think they need to take control of it because it's very lax. Good thing, bad thing. Good thing. Good. Okay. Yeah. I think it's going to be done a long, years and years and years ago. As for the protests both in the U.S. and around the world, their hope was that the president would stand firm. I think they're going to stomp their feet no matter what he does. Right. He could hand them $1,000 and they'd still find something to bitch about. Um, that's at least the loud part of public opinion. There's those of us who are quiet, and we sort of were the ones who voted for him. We quietly voted for him. I didn't make it public in my workplace or where I'm at because I was in the minority, it seemed, but there were a lot of vocal Hillary supporters, so now it's, it's no different. You've got all the people out there voting or um, demonstrating. And, um, and those of us who voted for him are just sitting back and watching. you got to remember that all these newspapers out there, the New York Times, uh, the Wall Street Journal, are all owned by Democrats. And they go after Republicans, so it's all, like Trump would say, a lot of it fake news. 
because they can put their spin on it. What I'm, one thing I'm sick about in my news feed is, you know, you hear about what Madonna said and you hear about what all these people in Hollywood, I look at them as the carnival folk. They live in these sheltered little lives in Hollywood where they live in gated communities. They really don't live in the real world. And, and I think that's one of the things that disgusts me the most is I'm tired of hearing what Hollywood has to say and what we should be thinking. And that's another reason why I liked Trump because he just tore Hollywood a new one. You know the women's march? You know, I find it interesting some of those same people that are protesting the refugee ban about countries. Look at how women are treated in those countries, right? Where you have little to no rights, you're treated pretty awful, right? But yet you act like this country is like this administration's out to get you. People are out there acting foolish. We have a new president. Live with it. You may have not liked the other previous presidents, but live with it. At least give the guy a chance. You're making the whole country look like we're in hysterics, and we're not. I feel like Obama apologized, and now um, Trump's saying, I'm not apologizing for our country. You know, we, a lot of countries have benefited from American leadership. A lot of countries in Europe have tried to emulate American leadership. So as far as what the other countries think of us, I think we shouldn't care. Even so, some did worry what would happen if the current climate of antagonism continued week after week. I'm really shocked at the intolerance all around on both sides, that just no one will listen to anybody talk mm, yeah. or just yelling at each other. It's just ugly. As a citizen, I'm, I'm concerned because we're all here. You know, people are getting hurt, people are, we, you know, this, is this going to turn into something really ugly? Are we going to have another... Timothy McVeigh or uh, a domestic terrorist, are we going to start shooting each other? I mean, where does it go? Finally, we asked people what they expected President Trump to achieve during his term of office. Hopes were high, not least because they saw him as a leader who could do deals and get things done. All of it. Taxes, education, economy. I mean, nobody I know is happy with the way their life is right now. You're either paying too much for your medical, you're paying too much in your income taxes, and it's, it needs to be fixed, and he's going to do it. I got big hopes for that man. I want him to get rid of Obamacare as it is right now. Um, I, I buy my own insurance, and my insurance went from $40 a month to 60 to now it's 180 You know, I'm going to get to the point where I'm priced out of it, and I can't afford this, this required Healthcare. A good military. Top notch. I but think he can make better choices with spending the tax dollars and maybe hopefully cut some of the fat and the size of the government with redundancies. Cutting down the corruption and cutting down the actual corruption that we have in Washington. All the, I can't remember the word for it, the, pe the people who are the lobbyists. We have to cut down the lobbyists. There's so much pork, there's so much pork spending in the actual in our bills. You know, I, I would say everything starts with a healthy economy. If if the economy is growing at a high rate, like late '90s, for example, um, that'll give you the strong military you want. You'll be able to get the budget in line, and you can start paying down some of our 21 trillion dollar national debt, which is pretty disgraceful. Border security. These borders have been open. Anybody can run in and do whatever they want, wreak havoc here. Um, just bringing more work here. Like I said, my entire work that I went to school with and got a degree in, you know, um, everything's gone out of the country. And a lot of my close friends and family have lost their jobs because their companies totally shut down and moved to 
Mexico and everywhere else. <laughs> I, I do think that he has a better chance of success only because the career politicians don't know what he's going to do next. And it seems like he doesn't let dust settle. Well, he has a Republican Congress, so I would say he has optimum conditions to get things done. I personally I like Donald Trump. I've read his books and stuff. I used to watch The Apprentice. And what thing I like about him, he's going to figure out how to will and deal, like with the roads. He's going to get through the red tape. He's going to figure it out, and he's not going to be talking. It's going to get done. Next, we spoke to people who'd voted for Hillary Clinton, again, some more eagerly than others. Many of them said they understood why people had chosen Donald Trump over their preferred candidate. Yeah, she needs to loosen the collar a little bit. Like, she seems so extremely uptight and not personable. Yeah. I mean, I I couldn't identify with her. And just a lot of her policies, I don't agree with. She failed to engage the base at all. Uh, on Facebook, when Barack ran, especially the first time, it felt like a life-changing election. And Hillary just completely failed to energize and give that feeling to her base during this election cycle. He was 100% genuine, and a lot of people, you might not like that, or might not like that, but you can respect that. You know, she seen, she's always wearing the pantsuits, she's always trying to please everybody. When you just sometimes, just, like, you, like you said, to just be more related, be, like be yourself. If I were in rural America at the moment, all the industry's been wiped out from overseas competition, I have zero economic options, I'm totally dependent on the system, or I have to move to a city to find work. Uh, everyone around me that I know is uh, perhaps engaged in substance abuse or trafficking drugs, and I'm on SSI, food stamps, or a combination thereof to support my family, well, you bet I'd be pissed. So for that reason, I think that message of make America great again and bringing back that uh, economic vitality that we've lost in the rural part of the country the last 30 years really resonated with the rural base. But committed Democrats in particular were more inclined to blame the result on the system, the Republicans, the media, or the voters for getting it wrong. The popular vote our president would be Hillary Clinton. The Electoral College decided that we are in it as a population and gives it to somebody else. And he tapped into the nostalgia of this being a white country, exactly. a white supremacist country, yeah. and he, he, he tapped into that vein. To, you know, let's make America great again. Which, what he's saying is, let's take it back to 1950s. I, I, not, not everyone who voted for him was a racist. But I believe that the majority of the racists voted for him. I, I think that the Republicans and Donald Trump did an excellent job of defaming her name, really, and making her strongly associated with criminal actions and where these emails and just harped on it, harped on it, harped on it. And I think they gained a lot of uh, traction with making people significantly less enthusiastic than they otherwise would have been. So then people end up with, oh, we have two weak candidates. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of people just didn't go to the polls. The bottom line is, I think that they just didn't want a woman for president. People weren't listening. He's, he's a pathological liar. And actually, I don't know if anyone read this, fact-checked, Hillary was the most honest out of all of them. And that includes the 17 or 18 Republicans that were running. I would say the reason that Republicans, except for very few counties in this country, run anything is because lack of the voting populace's information. 
that they undereducate themselves. But that ends up sounding like people voted for Donald Trump because they're stupid. Exactly, and they're not educated. I, I really, honestly, I feel like it was the two reasons. Let's make America white right again, emotional. and they don't know better. I just don't understand it. I still don't get why someone would have voted for him. These groups gave Trump some grudging credit for doing the things he said he would do, even if they were dreading the consequences. I expected uh, him to pretty much go in and kind of disappoint the Republicans. I mean, because, you know, from, from what I've seen, uh, looking back on, you know, uh, Donald Trump interviews and all that stuff, like, he's always been sort of a, a, a Democratic-sided, you know, type of guy up until his uh, uh, candidacy, you know, announcement. Now I see that uh, he's, uh, I'm glad I didn't vote for him still, but I, I see that he, he's actually following through with some of this crazy stuff. Uh, the building of the wall between U.S. and Mexico, it sounds like he's going to go forward with that plan unless he gets blocked by Congress. And, and that was part, one of his big political campaign things. Um, I mean, alienating Mexico, we're a big trade partner with them. Exactly. So what that means is the price of everything will go up because you're no longer friends and import buddies with them. So we still pay the price in the long uh, run. The immigration um, ban? Yeah. yeah. What do you think of that? Um. <laughs> Where do I start? It's the most un-American thing imaginable. Yes. Completely against the Constitution. I don't agree with, you know, banning refugees, you know, and stuff like that, you know. I. I feel like, you know, yes, America, you know, does need help financially, but at the same time, um, I just feel like it, it's kind of breaking, breaking uh, against what America stands for. He's our royalty. Yeah. He's our king and queen. The, the office represents the highest of what we have in this whole system. So if his bar is set low and he's acting like a fifth grader with these, yeah, yeah, this is ridiculous. We're going down the tubes. I go back to being a second-class citizen and being closet because it's okay to uh, pick on people who are gay, black, or poor, or all of the above. I think there's going to be a lot of chaos yep. either way it goes. Whether it's it's there's going to be some race war issues because of his supporters and Hillary's supporters bumping heads. Um, because I feel a lot of people are getting tired of this bigot just saying a lot of harsh stuff and doing a lot of harsh things. Freedom of uh, the press. He's not allowing some of the press in. He's doing the, the tweeting instead of having press conferences. That, that takes you back to what Russia was like. Our stature and reputation in the world is permanently damaged, mm -hmm. and the work of the last 60 years that we have put in to become an international superpower is gone. And the former NATO Axis powers that came together to unify North America and Europe into an economic bloc is gone. Okay. So it's the end of the world. I never said it was the end of the world. Yes, we know it. Earlier in the week, Lord Ashcroft asked his Twitter followers to give him questions for this week's round of focus groups for the participants. And 
Kevin, I think we should go through the mailbag and talk about some of those questions and what we learned this week. Yeah, Laura Trevelyan of the BBC, no less, asks, is Donald Trump delivering on his campaign pledges as far as the voters were concerned? And I think the answer is yes, they do think he is. It was interesting because on both sides of the aisle, whether you voted for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, everyone agrees that Donald Trump is following through on his campaign promises. And for Donald Trump supporters, that makes him very happy. For Hillary Clinton supporters, clearly they are not happy with the policy direction that Trump is pursuing. Matt from London asks, are they happy with his progress and conduct so far? And I think following on from that, I think progress, yes, conduct is a bit more of a mixed bag. And that was interesting because, again, you've got an area where Clinton supporters and Trump supporters find some common ground just in being a little off-put by the frenzied pace of the new administration. And I think Trump supporters are somewhat divided because while they like all the action, they think it can be a little too much and perhaps, you know, Donald Trump could tone it down a bit. But they also understand that this is probably fundamentally who Donald Trump is. So what you see is what you get. Matthew Dancona of The Guardian asks, do they know or care that his border bans are damaging America's global reputation? The executive order is incredibly popular among Trump supporters, and they actually cheer it on because they believe that under President Obama, there was too much apologizing around the world, and they look forward to Trump disrupting the global status quo. And, you know, among Hillary Clinton supporters, regarding the damage to America's international image, they think that just Trump, by merit of Donald Trump being in the Oval Office, that our global standing is damaged enough. So it's just another event on top of every Trump event that upsets them. Several of our correspondents suggested that we ask the Trump voters, do you regret it yet? To which I think the answer is quite the contrary. Um, Most of them are surprised and delighted to find they've actually voted for someone who seems intent on keeping his promises. And Democrats who voted for Hillary Clinton almost grudgingly give President Trump some respect for actually keeping his promises on the campaign trail. While they may absolutely loathe the policies that he's enacting, he's at least keeping his promises. And that might be even somewhat refreshing for people who don't necessarily like him, but they at least see him behaving in an untraditional way. And a lot of them assume, I think, that Within the next four years, things will all end in tears. They'll just go so badly wrong that he will either lose handily at the next election or be impeached before it comes to that. And I think that is a delusion that could lead to more and more defeat for Democrats if they really aren't ready to look at some of the real reasons that voters decided to support Donald Trump and if they keep dismissing them as uneducated simpletons who were just so wrong and just too dumb to know better. I think that's a real recipe for disaster that Democratic leadership also needs to wake up to and to start getting outside of their comfort zone, going beyond the Russia hacking to actually explore what went wrong and how they're going to rebuild their party going forward. Meanwhile, it's clear that the White House really does have a strategy. As our polling shows, the Trump voters are most worried about jobs and national security, Obamacare, dealing with immigration. And in his first couple of weeks in office, Donald Trump has gone out of his way to talk about all of those things. So whether you like it or not, they know what they're doing. Jennifer Granholm was elected governor of Michigan in 2002 and re-elected four years later with an increased majority. She was a member of President Obama's transition team and last year campaigned for Hillary Clinton. Lord Ashcroft asked her what her party needed to do to start winning again. 
how Democrats should go about opposing the Trump administration, and first of all, how the politics of the state had changed since she was in charge. Well, the state has always been the poster child for the loss of manufacturing jobs, at least since the late 1990s, maybe the 1980s, obviously, with the advent of globalization and the acceleration of global uh, manufacturing to lower-wage countries that really happened a lot in the first decade of this century. So since 2010 and now, people are just really coming to grips with the fact that those manufacturing jobs are really not coming back. And so the challenge for Michigan is trying to get people to grapple with the fact that they have to change, their children have to change, everybody has to be educated. And that is a, it's, a, it's almost a generational change. So Michigan is still grappling with the difficulties of globalization and how it impacts individuals on the ground. Donald Trump won this state by a margin of less than a 11,000 votes out of the nearly 5 million cast, although four years ago, Barack Obama won here by some 450,000. Is Michigan, in your view, no longer a reliably blue state? I don't think we can take Michigan for granted. I say that as a Democrat. I think a lot of people assumed that Michigan would be a blue state. And we have seen that taking labor for granted, for example, is not a good strategy. So Michigan, um, it normally would be a blue state. However, I do think that unless Democrats are very strong about jobs in America and about addressing issues related to what working people feel and not just assume that everybody knows that Democrats are going to respond, that Michigan is up for grabs. Hillary Clinton only visited Michigan towards the end of the campaign, I believe. Why do you think they underestimated how close the race was here and in Wisconsin and perhaps Pennsylvania? I think it's, uh, it was totally all of the publicly released polling. It was amazing how wrong these polls were. Every single one in both in Michigan and Wisconsin and in Pennsylvania were dead wrong. And that, I think, caused a complacency or at least um, a diversion of attention away from those states that was detrimental. In Michigan, I don't know if she had gone one more time, that that would have made a difference. But what would have made a difference is if the emphasis of the campaign had really been about creating jobs in America, in a global economy, about how uh, recognizing how people really feel about the trade agreements that we feel have um, have run right over us. So I think that it was much, it was less of her going um, because she had been there a lot of times in the primary. It was more, I think, about people feeling like they were heard and making sure that all populations were heard in Michigan. Michigan is a diverse state. I'm not sure that all of the populations felt like they were, you know, they were included. In, uh, in my latest poll completed on the eve of the inauguration, I found people who supported Hillary Clinton tended to blame the result on voters for not understanding the issues properly and the media for not holding Donald Trump to account. And do you think there's a danger that Democrats will take refuge in things like that 
rather than think hard about why this result happened and what the lessons are for your party? Yeah, I think that that's a very fair point. Um, I do think there are, you could point to any number of things that might have put Michigan over the top because it was only some 10,000 votes, but would that have put Wisconsin over the top or Pennsylvania over the top? Not so clear. So I think Democrats have to look really hard at what we were saying. If we weren't talking about jobs, jobs, good-paying jobs in America, and having that be the front and center of our campaign, then we were missing the boat. Donald Trump understood that people were feeling enormously insecure based on the fact that they had lost their jobs through no fault of their own and were now struggling, perhaps having to hold down two or three jobs and making still less wages. People need to get how serious, what an identity crisis that is. And that a guy who was outsourcing himself, who every time you see him interviewed at home is in a Louis XIV chair with gilded columns and mirrors around him, that that guy could have made the point greater than we made is certainly a lesson for Democrats. We have got to understand this going forward. And, and taking from that, Governor, what do you think Democrats do need to do to start winning again, and especially to win people back in counties here in Michigan that switched from Obama to Trump? Well, I do think, one, we need to do the groundwork necessary so that people feel like they're being seen and heard, so that people feel like they're being understood. Hillary Clinton had by far the best policies, but I don't know that people felt heard or felt, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, and she would joke about this or joke, or at least acknowledge that she wasn't the best quote politician, that her husband and Barack Obama were better politicians. And, you know, I think that there is something to having a figure who's running for office, who really conveys the depth of understanding of people in a you know, in a way that isn't just cerebral, that is gut. And and so having a politician that has both the great policies and conveys a gut and that demonstrates that they hear people and they understand how difficult this transition is, has got to be a big piece of what we're talking about. Shame on us as Democrats. If we give up blue-collar workers, shame on us if we allow that that the policies that Donald Trump is putting forward to be smoke and mirrors, and we end up losing a whole population of people who have stood with us as Democrats for decades and decades. We have got to not take anybody for granted and work every single precinct and letting people know that our number one priority is making sure they can put food on the table and have the dignity of a good-paying job in a global economy. How would you like to see the Democrats in Washington deal with the Trump administration? Should perhaps they do everything they can to oppose his plans? Or do you see any scope for working together to help shape legislation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's what I would say is that, I mean, today, for example, um, we are speaking on the day when Donald Trump announced that he wants to see U.S.-made content in all of the infrastructure projects that he that his administration will put forward. Great. Let's do it. There is a bill that has been introduced in the Senate 
by a Democrat named Sherrod Brown out of Ohio, which requires the U.S. in purchasing to use U.S.-made goods and products. That's fantastic. Let's hold his feet to the fire and let's push him on it. And let's remind our base that we are the ones who are pushing. And we have to call him out on hypocrisy if, in fact, he's not doing that. Listening to some of the commentary on Trump's first couple of weeks in office, you think the world was coming to an end. Uh, do you think there is a danger of Trump's opponents overreacting to him and thus reinforcing his support among the kind of people who turned out for him in November? Yeah, I, I think this is a really smart question, and Democrats have to look to this. Remember, we have four years. But I also want to say that we don't want to normalize behavior that really is damaging. For example, this ban on um, people coming from the seven uh, largely Muslim countries. Now, the fact that he says he's doing that to protect Americans, he can say that. But the reality is there has not been a single terrorist from any of those countries that has committed the terrorist act in the United States since 1975, as far back as the records have gone. So what is this really about? That terrorist acts have been committed by terrorists in the U.S. I mean, 2001 was the big one, obviously, and that was from Saudi Arabia, some from Egypt um, and Pakistan. But those aren't on the list. So what is really going on underneath this? Is it not just a political measure rather than one that is really directed to protecting Americans. We don't want to normalize behavior that denigrates American values. We don't want to say that's okay. And that's it for this edition of Ashcroft in America. Keep tweeting us with your comments, questions and thoughts using the hashtag Ashcroft in America and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I highly recommend that you check out Lord Ashcroft's book on the 2016 election. It's called Hopes and Fears and really is a wonderful study of how voters responded to Hillary Clinton and President Trump. And it offers some thoughts on the mindset of Republican and Democratic voters and the implications for the future. All our research is published at lordashcroftpolls.com and you can keep up to date on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Ashcroft in America. We'll see you next time.